Hey folks, Jeff Salzman here and welcome to The Daily Evolver. Today I'm going to share a conversation that I had with my dear friend and integral sister, Diane Musho Hamilton. Many of you know Diane. She is an integral teacher of long standing. I've worked with her for many years. She is a Zen master in the Soto Zen tradition, and she is by profession a mediator. In the past several years, Diane and her team have focused on doing diversity training in corporate and public settings, and that's the topic that we address today. So here is my conversation with Diane Mushel Hamilton. You have been, in the last several years, right? Been doing workshops with mm -hmm. your team uh, mm -hmm. on this. Mm -hmm. And you are now off the road, I'm thinking, and working on a book. That's correct. Yeah, so, cool. Yeah, so I, just fill us in. All right. I started doing work uh, with diversity, what we call diversity, equity, and inclusion these days, um, really back in the, the 90s when I was working as a mediator. Even though it wasn't you know, that these, what, what you and I would call these pluralistic values were not necessarily in the mainstream at that time. You didn't hear people talk about race as much on the news um, in the way we do now. Right. Um, the feminist movement, of course, flowered in the 70s and then kind of died back a little bit. So in the 90s, we weren't hearing a lot about it. But right now we're experiencing another enormous bloom. Yeah. Um, of well, actually, I think you, in your book, um, I was just reading the first part of the that you sent me, mm -hmm. I think you describe it well when you talk about moving into, first of all, I, Di, I have to say, yeah. starting your book with The Big Bang. I want, ev I want every book to start with The Big Bang. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's really think? true. Yeah, it's great. And yeah. you take us through evolution to mm -hmm. our time. Yes. And you do it beautifully in three or four pages. And one of the distinctions you make is that, you know, civil rights and feminism are, in terms of the exteriors, in terms of the laws, mm -hmm. you know, pretty much handled. Right. And that was the, 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 the movement that happened in modernity. Right. And that, right. you know, really flourished in the 60s and 70s, civil rights, feminism, both. Mm -hmm. and, and now we're in a green sensibility that mm -hmm. wants to work on these issues in the interiors. Absolutely. Yeah, and I thought that was very, very true. Well, I have a very good teacher, as do you. So, of course, Ken Wilbur is who, who right. taught me to see through this lens. It's been very helpful in my work, as I know it has been in your work and in your thinking, to really begin to look at all of this through a developmental lens. And when we look through a developmental lens, that course leads us to looking through an evolutionary lens because basically things are changing and evolving over time. So the kind of conversation that was being had in the 60s that was about civil rights and I, would, I always love to think about Martin Luther King's speech where he in third person challenges America to deliver on its promise to black people and people of color and then he he kind of reminds the we space of the civil rights movement, how they need to conduct themselves so that they can maintain the moral high ground. And then he finally finishes in first person with his I have a dream. And he's so uh, connected to himself and so passionate that basically he brings the entire audience with him into his vision. It's, it's a really elegant use of third, second and first person. Um, but basically what, what uh, people in the States and in um, 
within the communities of color is that, yeah, we, pre- we passed all the right laws, but in the same way that it still takes time, you know, we won the Civil War, got rid of slavery, and it still took decades to start to address Jim Crow. These things happen, you know, in an evolutionary fashion. And so um, bringing the subjective experience of people of color or uh, gender diverse people or women or people with disabilities, marginalized groups, bringing their actual experience forward and then continuing to advocate for a real place at the table. So even though the laws have been enacted, there's still all kinds of implicit bias that makes our our systems and our structures continue to be biased. And so that's part of the big challenge. So it has to be in the exteriors and now it also has to be in the interiors. Right. And we can see that in the, I mean, cultural evolution is happening in real time. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's like a booster rocket. If you think that Me Me Too was less than two years ago with Harvey Weinstein thing. Yeah. yeah. And the Oscars and, um, and you know, there's... Um, and Tucker Carlson not apologizing for his terribly misogynist what statements. What did he say? What he, he, wouldn't, say? he doesn't apologize. He just basically says they're, they're, they're showing recordings of him from a few years back where he's pretty denigrating to women. And he's, oh, is he? He's, yeah, yeah, he's taking that, you know, the far right stand that he doesn't have to apologize. Yeah. So well, that, I mean, if we look at the... Um, you know, developmental landscape, mm-hmm. that's what we are dealing with. Mm-hmm. And I, and one of the great things about integral theory and an evolutionary view is that we don't necessarily have to think this shouldn't be happening. You know, that we've no. done something terribly wrong and we're right. in this position and things are getting worse. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And um, and everybody's fighting for their lives for the you know on on the right the Tucker Carlson position of what more do you people want? <laughs> what more do you people want? You got the you got the got that this got the that, and then the people on the left side who are they want to be fully seen. Mm-hmm. You yep. know they want the karmas of their lives to be on in the field fully. Yes, that's right. You know, and then there's the rest of us that are kind of trying to hide. Yeah, that's right. right. (laughs) You know, but that is the move forward. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I've heard Ken speaking about this recently and talking about how we have at least three very solid developmental levels involved in the culture wars. So we have the traditional level, of course, in which black and white is really important and everybody stays inside the line, is inside their own group, and they don't change their gender identity and they don't do any of that. Everybody knows who they are. That's right. Each other is. And can we just pause for a moment and say, there's something about that that is very um, comfortable. Absolutely. I mean, loyalty, duty, self-sacrifice, obedience, knowing who's coming to your wedding and your funeral and not having your best friend call and say, I'm not feeling like it. It's fantastic. (laughs) Traditional values are, you know, the the heartland. They're the stability. Yeah. 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 But what we can also see developmentally is that when that uh, worldview or that developmental stage is in charge, there's a lot of people who are outside. Absolutely, because you don't outside of the circle. You don't fit into those categories, and you and I have often talked about how, in our perspective, that shadow often drives development. So, if you're gay in a traditional culture and it's 
tremendously homophobic and oppressive and you're subjected to conversion therapy, you might actually transition literally out of traditional precisely because of its intolerance yeah. or because you see hypocrisy within the traditional culture, like let's say around sexuality in the Catholic church right now, or the Buddhist world that, you know, all these really tried and true dependable values are actually not the case that people are doing all kinds of shadowy things in the background. And that hypocrisy might actually force you to leave. It might be that you just look over the next into the next Valley and see some people doing things differently and get interested by it. But all of that leads to moving into another level. So we yeah. have the traditional level, and then we have the secular materialist scientific level in which, and we see that all around, you know, in terms of being self-made and merit-based systems and everything being measured empirically, and, you know. The uh, moderate stage. I, I love what you put here. Uh, again, a, a line I underlined. You said, we looked under the hood of meritocratic objective fairness and realized that, still disadvantaged, that it still disadvantaged people along many lines, including those of race and gender. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's why yeah. after, you know, I, that's what's so beautiful. Our, our, our system is born of those beautiful, objective, empiric values. Yeah. And, and, you know, when I was working for the court system and we were exploring racial and ethnic fairness, you know, basically... If you ask anybody in the system, any employee in the system, all the way from, you know, people who police officers through prosecutors to judges to, you know, parole officers, everybody within the system says that they're striving to be fair. And yet a statistical analysis shows us again that at every point in the system in criminal justice, when you have discretion, which is a lot of discretion, that people of color come out treated more harshly. They're overrepresented in prisons. They're overrepresented in convictions. They're overrepresenting in harsh sen sentencing. I mean, that's part of why there's such an outcry over Paul Manafort right now. Is yeah. he, you know, he was guilty of stealing something like fifty million dollars, and literally, if he were a black man, he would have gotten twenty years for stealing a stack of quarters. So basically, then what we see is that even though we espouse those values and those laws are written down, that, you know, these implicit biases are at work and people can't see them. And that's the biggest problem. There's a really good book um, that was on the New York Times bestseller list called Blind Spot that if your, your audience is interested in really goes into the problem of implicit bias and how much we see how biased we are when we look at these statistical results. But when we ask ourselves if we're biased, we literally can't see it. Mm -hmm. So then, hence comes green, right? So we have traditional values. We have uh, meritocracy and which is the modern stage, the which more is orange developmental level. Yes, which we love because people are, as they like to say, bringing it or crushing it. Yeah. Well, we don't want to get rid of meritocratic fairness. No, we, we absolutely want to enlarge it. Yes. Because yeah. it it started small. Yeah, that's right. You know, and it's but it is growing and and but not fast enough for green and hallelujah. Hallelujah. So then along comes what I guess Don Beck or Claire Graves calls the sensitive self or relativism. And then we have these values which in in our culture are in Boulder, Colorado. You're living in the Mecca. One of the meccas of pluralism along with the Bay Area and possibly New York City and Sedona, Arizona, you know, right. small pockets, but, but, you know, there's real traction right now. The difference I notice is that these values 
at pluralism, values of inclusion, values of diversity, values of supporting minority voices and um, a kind of an anti-aggression, anti-triggering, microaggression, you know, in gentle compassion values um, are really beautiful, but they basically backfire when um, there's an overabundance of them so that they become the most uh, aggressive. There's the most aggressive sensitivity to microaggressions and there's the most intolerant espousing of tolerance and there's the most exclusive um, value of inclusion to where green culture has ironically coined the term cancel culture, which means that not only will I not include you, I will cancel you out of my existence. So if you're Louis CK and I don't, you know, I don't like that you're a creep or that you're creepy with your sexuality, I'm just going to cancel you. I'm going to cancel you, Michael Jackson, because, you know, apparently you have a history of pedophilia. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to X you out of my world. And they do it to people online and they do it to people in comedy clubs and they do it all over the place. So yeah. inclusion becomes cancel. Isn't yeah. that wild? It is. And, you know, I think we can make a distinction that I'm free to cancel anybody I want out of my world. Yes. But I don't want to, can I can't cancel people out of your world. No, you can't cancel people out of my world. And, and I can't I, cancel I, people out of the world. And I, then I, what I would prefer then is that you not preach to me about inclusion while you're canceling. <laughs> right. <laughs> cancel away. I'm all about canceling, yeah. believe me. But I'm not, I'm not about <laughs> well, that. But, but here we go, Di. So I, Bill Barr the other night, he's saying, okay, so could we, do we have to stop listening to Michael Jackson? Is this Bill Maher? Yeah, Bill Maher. Okay. And, okay. and, and he makes a distinction. He says, I, I'm not going to stop listening to Michael no, Jackson. But he says, I don't think I'm going to be able to listen to Pretty Young Thing anymore. Fair enough. You know, so, Fair you know, enough. we actually get to cancel all kinds of things. That's part of yeah. being free. You know, well, that's called that's called balancing inclusion and exclusion. And not being confused about the fact that we can be utterly inclusive. Of course, from the perspective of enlightenment, all things are already included. Of course, from the perspective of, of tremendous generosity and also values of, of fairness, everybody should have a voice at the table. Absolutely. But there are certain times where I have certain people at the table, I'm never going to get anything done. Yeah. And I actually want to get it done. So, you know, like there are actually limits on inclusion from other points of view. Right. And Michael yeah. Jackson, you can't, you can't, I mean, my, my argument with Michael Jackson would be, first of all, um, I think there's a deeper conversation about how to prevent child sexual abuse, because we do know that it's very injurious to people. And Michael Jackson, apparently, you know, I mean, he did, he did go through due process and he was acquitted, although, although I guess he settled that lawsuit. For 23 million. These people on this documentary claim that they just simply weren't prepared to face that then and they are now, so fair enough. But you can't really cancel someone whose influence in culture, at least in relationship to music, is so profound that everybody from Beyonce to Bruno Mars is somehow influenced by him. Mm -hmm. Like that's just not a possibility. Right. You know, well, you, who was it? On the, I think it was on the Bill Maher show again. Somebody pointed out Michelangelo loved his 12 year old boys. Yes. You know, so course. the Mona Lisa, the, the Pieta, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. I yeah, mean, it's complex. It is. Uh, but, but these these three levels are at war with each other. That's our yeah, point. Yeah, that's right. Right? 
That's right. And we could also, as developmentalists, look and see the progress. I mean, the fact that we're now sort of having this conversation Mm -hmm. about Michael Jackson, all right, so maybe it's 25 years too late, or, you know, too late for (laughs) justice in real time, but we're catching up. Yeah. You, you yeah. know, we're, we're getting there and it's not supposed to be pretty. Evolution isn't pretty, Mm-mm. you know. No, I so, think you taught me that line. It's beautiful, but it's not pretty. It's beautiful, but not pretty. pretty. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. And we can see that. I mean, one of the things that I'm excited about myself in terms of my own development is actually becoming more fully green. You know, I don't want to be colonized you know, and I don't want it to be exclusive, but I actually feel like there's a lot of uh, territory for me to grow into as best I can as a practice, not trying to be super successful, but faithful to it. Mm-hmm. See the world through the eyes of people who are different than me, Absolutely. you know, and, 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 and radically different from me. And to see the groups and to see the karmas and to just try on new ideas. I I really appreciated um, the column that David Brooks did uh, a week or so ago about reparations. Mm -hmm. I actually, I saw it, but I didn't actually read it. What did he say? Yeah. Well, he said, I can't just rule that out anymore. You know, I mean, it's, it's impossible. You know, there's all the arguments against it. But there is something to it. There is something to um, going the extra mile Mm -hmm. to help people who have a karmic history. And I didn't even used to believe in a a karmic history. Actually, that's not true. Uh, Karmas, I I assumed, were passed on behaviorally, for sure, by our grandmother and our, you know, whatever. We, We get the karmas of our history. But there's also arguments now that I think are, you know, legit, that there's actually even a physical karma that comes down from trauma. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. I, I, I think that's right. I, I, I think reparations are highly symbolic and in the same way that, that we atone or we, we ask for forgiveness in terms of our past misdeeds, that doing that on behalf of our ancestors is a highly symbolic act that probably would free a lot of energy. I think the other part of the conversation from an integral perspective, however, is to also begin to recognize just the tremendous resilience within uh, culture. And also the, you know, again, people will say, I, you know, being white, particularly in relationship to race, I probably am not positioned well to be arguing for this, but just that, you know, the human, the human spirit, in the case of uh, black people in our country, the black church, you know, just being like high, just, just tremendous. um, What's the word? Ability to transform and transmute the experience of suffering into just tremendous art in the form of gospel and preaching and community and supporting the downtrodden. I mean, it's just a remarkable story from my perspective. So I would like to also see that in the conversation. Not yeah. simply the way in which people are victimized, but also how tremendously transformed mm-hmm. people have become through this right. process. Yeah. It's again, I think, as a white person. Well, it's it's a both. Yeah, I know. Here we are, two white people talking about this. Yeah, but fuck yeah, it. we could we could talk about gender. Maybe we're better <laughs> off doing that. 
Well, yeah, let me make sure there's something I was going to. Well, you were saying that you really want, you really like the part of you that's green. You want to actually include and be very curious about those who are significantly different than you are. And I think, and that is one of the crown jewels of of green values or pluralistic values. But I do think we need to recognize that the, because until we hit second tier, according to this research, we literally cannot hold multiple perspectives. Right. So paradoxically, the people that are, are not like me are like me in my values and my worldview and my way of seeing and who I can't hold are Trump voters or who I can't <laughs> hold are people working for Google or to who I can't hold is Exxon. Right. You know, it's like, you know, yeah. I, I'm going to pick and choose who yeah. I, inside of my yeah you could be any race creed color gender as long as you agree with me yeah Uh, but you know because i think it's actually your integral sensibility that allows you to connect with your your could get in trouble you rednecks well my yeah i mean i grew up with rednecks (laughs) no no doubt about it and you know i it's just one of the things about integral in general is that i want my full redneckness online too I don't want the red. Here's here's what I've been thinking is that each of these worldviews, of course, from an integral integral perspective, has a piece of the truth and a piece of gold, you know. And how do we know what that is? The way I've been thinking about it is that the part that is good is the part that invites everybody to it. Mm -hmm. So even my redneck roots Mm-hmm. Uh, to the degree that I, to, I, I want to get, all, get rid of all the ethnocentric kind of, you know, contractions. But I want to, uh, I want to feel into that part of the redneck culture that is simple uh-huh. and um, Grounded. loves their family mm-hmm. and uh, loves their country. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. feels to the degree that they are religious that the world is enchanted, mm-hmm. and that there actually is something beyond just what we could see and touch. Yeah, so and they know their roles. I, I went they from there. Roles. They yes. know how to show up for each other. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Supposed to do. Yeah. And so when I talk about green, I I want to talk about the green that we move into integral with, mm-hmm. which is that deep sensitivity, mm-hmm. but none of the you know, retribution against people, you know, the, you know, what my grandfather did to your grandfather. I want to take that into account. I want to take that into account in a way that I didn't used to want to take that into account. And I think that's progress. I think there are a lot of people, myself included, who wanted to move into integral a little too fast. And there is still some green to, there's still, you know, there still is green to, um, uh, to, to, to get. Mm-hmm. to bring forward, but I don't want to bring the exclusivity, you know, that basically just turns the hierarchy on its head and has the victim be the perpetrator. Yeah. Totally. You know, and there's a lot of that. And it's, it's, you know, it's what you would expect. I mean, it's the way humans do it, but fuck, it's painful. It's and, painful. And, you know, and, and you don't get a lot const- done. Consternating to a lot of people, but you know, mm-hmm. here yeah. we are. It, it's tricky business for sure. Yeah. I like that about you. You often remind me that um, to be amazed in the face of evolution and development and how things are changing for the better. And um, because I do sometimes get caught in a 
an apocalyptic back eddy. So I appreciate that you kind of <laughs> kind of bring me out of that. Yeah, I do too. But yeah, it's it's good to remember. And 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 I think a lot of people get um, screwed up here because it's like Jordan Peterson. So, so somebody talked to me about Jordan Peterson recently. Yeah. I'm going to do an interview about him again later in the week. And his one of his arguments is that you know, you think feminism is a good thing. Look at the relationships between men and women now. You know, the, you know, the, the degradation the, of, of, of the, you know, harmony in the relationships between men and women. And I'm surprised by that because, first of all, he's a psychologist. And psychologists, I mean, we know that they're facing the shadow in one way or the other, however, the, whatever therapeutic modality you're using, you're basically looking at something you were unwilling to look at and okay. feeling something you were unwilling to feel. And that's cathartic. It's crazy. It's painful, but it gets us somewhere. And as Fritz Perl says, awareness is curative. So. Yes. Awareness itself is curative. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and, and then he, he talks a lot about the, um, you know, hero's journey and about myth and the value of myth. Mm -hmm. For God's sake, if myth isn't about walking through the fire, you know, I don't know what is, mm -hmm. you know. And, well, and, I, and I also have to wonder. So that's what we're doing. Yeah. And I, and I wonder about Jordan Peters, um, his, his sample of relationships, because, because in my experience um, with, you know, this is anecdotal, but the friends and the colleagues and the people that I work with, they have really, I'm actually really impressed by the quality of people's relationships. Really? I mean, I, That's yes, good to hear. I really am. And particularly the, the people that are a generation younger than me and maybe two generations younger. It seems like they really seem genuinely respectful of one another. And I mean, obviously, you know, what's that old adage that famili familiarity breeds contempt? You know, there is that problem. Just living with someone is challenging and, doing your whole life thing in the company of someone else. It's got its own built-in challenges, but I, I feel like I see a tremendous amount of respect between people. I see understanding for their, for their various roles. I see women recognizing just the, the pressure on males to produce, to perform, to provide, um, to take care of the family. I was re recently listening to this podcast out of LA called the big one about earthquake, earthquake preparation. And every male that they talked about earthquake preparation, the sentence that came out of their mouth is, I have to protect my family. And I didn't hear the women saying that. It's not that they weren't thinking it, but they certainly weren't saying it in the way the males were. And that there's a tremendous amount of pressure to be in that role, you know, and there's isolation in that role. And there's now the, the experience of feeling that you're just fundamentally wrong and bad. But so this idea that we can actually empathize with one another's predicaments, you know, and again, I'm... I'm speaking in cisgendered language between, you know, straight men and women. And obviously there are all kinds of exceptions to that fundamental duality, but that we just, there seems to be a lot of kind of growing up in terms of being able to tolerate and include and negotiate with the differences, Absolutely. with the differences, you know, you and I have them. We've been working together for years, you know, Yes. yes. And, you know, I tend to want to go towards a problem. You tend to want, sleeping dogs right. to lie and that's fine in the room <laughs> well, you just don't want to waste press's life force going. i'm a lover not a fighter yes totally and i'm a fighter not yeah. a lover hey it's all good you yeah. know it all th th those are two sides of the street that yeah. both are engines of evolution mm -hmm. we 
fight our way forward and we the other F word our way forward. Yes, we do both. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, so back to Jordan Peterson. So, you know, I, I listened to his arguments about gender. I listened to him say, which I find fascinating, that creating equality will not create an equal result. Uh, quality, equality of opportunity does not an equal result create because he says that there's an enormous mm-hmm. preferencing of males towards things and women towards people that will always result in fewer female CEOs. And I just think that that's fascinating. He says right. that basically we're, you know, our formula is wrong. And I think that's interesting. I don't know if well, he's right. But. I, 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 I think he's right in terms of the zeitgeist of the time. But who knows where we go from here in terms of genders? I mean, if you look at how we are now versus the way our grandparents and great-grandparents were, I mean, who knows where we're going? So, but yeah, I mean, as long as we have a, uh, you know, the equality of of opportunity and we sort of keep the interiority in mind and online, you know, I think we're going to work our way towards where we're going. Yeah, well... What choice do we have? Yeah, exactly. Of course we're going to get there. I, I, I was sort of shocked by something that I saw a couple of days ago at my gym okay. relative to this, especially relative to, to these, uh, to the younger people. And, you know, everybody's careful in how, you know, what we say and how we defend and all of that stuff, which is, you know, basically good. You know, we mm-hmm. want to be aware of those things. We don't want to totally. be attracted by them, but we want to be aware of them. Absolutely. So, so I'm at the gym and we're at, there's sort of a floor where people are doing floor exercises and so forth. And there's a couple massage tables where, you know, the trainer might massage somebody's leg cramps or whatever. And I just so, hope he stops there. Well, this is <laughs> the she. point. This is the point. <laughs> I there can, see, a, there was I can a, see it coming. <laughs> there was a young woman who was wearing a, um, she had a bare midriff. So she had a tank top and she had some sort of leotards or whatever. So she's laying on her back. Spandex, spandex. Exactly. exactly. And she's beautiful. Uh, She's hot. She's hot. And the trainer, her trainer, who is young, and they're both in their 20s, you know, probably mid-20s, maybe even early 20s. And he's massaging her in this deep tissue massage up around her ribs and just going, following along the bottom of her breast. And everybody's like doing their exercises as if this wasn't happening. And I'm like, am I the only person who's seeing that this man is, and and she's then they're chatting. And, you know, honest to God, Di, it uh, it was thrilling in a way to see that people could do that kind of thing and be civilized about it and respectful. And in my generation, you would you would call the cops, you know, if if somebody was doing that uh, in public. So, you know, I mean, where we're going with sexuality is hopefully we want more of it. We want a bigger circle of what's available to us. I'm with you. I think that's massively cool. And I think it's interesting in the S&M community that you know, that in a way they're taking these domination submission structures, you know, which we inherit probably through our chimpanzee. Absolutely. DNA. Chimpanzee bonobo. And bonobo, both 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 sides. sides. Yeah. Yeah. And they're actually making them object and taking responsibility and creating really, uh, you know, explicit forms around the switching of these roles and whose responsibilities. We just, the rest of us, we're just in domination 
domination and submission exchanges all the time without ever noting it. Exactly. They're the farthest along when it comes Exactly. They are absolutely the farthest along. Yeah. And, you know, that, that doesn't mean we all have to get into domination and submission, but domination and submission actually creates the energy of sexuality. The polarity. Yeah, it's, it's a polarity. It, it, we yeah. don't want to homogenize that too much. You also said something to me once that I, I found really interesting and fascinating because in a certain way, as a gay man, you were considered, and the gay community was considered aberrant, that it freed you up to have whatever dimension of your sex life you wanted because you weren't trying to be normal from the get-go. Yeah, so we were that, already, already outlaws. Yeah, so that's, all, that's really yeah. interesting yeah. to me. Well, you and I are getting older too. How do you feel with all of uh, Well, um, I, I feel excited about the the cultural movement towards these explorations of the interiors and all of our little hurts our little micro hurts all our little sensitivities you know it's just a matter of you know we're all becoming more complex to each other we're seeing each other more deeply it's like we're turning the google map up on each other and we're seeing into each other in ways that we didn't before <laughs> and that's a nice image i like that and I like that with with my intimate relationship with Chuck. And, you know, I mean, I don't want to get into detail, but we're doing great at 64 and 65. It's just unseemly. We go to each other. That's unseemly how good this is going. Well, that's what I, that was the point I was making a few minutes ago about the quality of the relationships I'm seeing. So actually, I wanted to ask you, Di, yeah, sure. in your uh, experience with the, you know, you're working in organizations you're working as a mediator, you're working as a diversity trainer, you got this, your, your group of people. What are you seeing out there? What, what's, where's the edge? What I'm seeing is that as, as I'm seeing a little bit of what Ken's seeing in the sense that um, I'm seeing these three and possibly four different cultures really, as he would say, at each other's throats. Um, I'm finding that conversations are difficult to have with the amount of um, overriding kind of pressure around political correctness. And it's one of the things that I really try to, in my groups and training, try to help move people out of that reactiveness. Because, you know, we, we talk in integral about every, every perspective is true and partial. Is there a perspective? Is there a way to see the partiality of someone's expression and maybe give them a tip about how to say it differently mm -hmm. to capture the truth they're trying to get at. But right now what happens is that people do get quite um, uptight. They get a lot of fight or flight. They feel like they're going to fail. And if they do say something, they're angry. And so really good discussion gets shut down quite a bit in this context of unhealthy green. God, that and sounds so, like, that sounds like a job for uh, Zen master, Diane Musho Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Well, I, I mean, I have the benefit of an integral map. And so I can see that the mean, green, intolerant meme that's so full of tolerance that it's dogmatic at every turn. I see how that has to be tempered mm -hmm. and, has, and that we have to, you know, sort of back up from that and let people still have an environment of being able to express themselves so we can get at these true and partial truths. Mm -hmm. I tell a story about uh, in one of my chapters in the book that I'm working on, by the way, with, with Gabe Wilson and Kimberly Lowe, who are both colleagues and students of mine who, um, Gabe is, uh, 
black and Kim is actually Chinese, although she grew up in the UK. So she's kind of a multicultural person and we're comparing notes and all these kinds of things. But we were at a at a, an event in Berkeley and I think this is a couple of years ago now. And it was, it was a huge array of, of, you know, Berkeley's probably the, one of the beating hearts, if there are multiple hearts, at least the beating heart of American liberalism, you know, so we just had this massive cross-section of people. And at one point during the very early stages of the program, we, we did a small group discussion and people introduced themselves and we, we asked for preferred gender pronouns. I know people argue with the word preferred now. Um, and then, but there was one young man who was about 18 who, who basically introduced himself as a black woman. <laughs> uh, ironically uh, or not ironically? <laughs> not ironically. Oh. Not ironically, which mm-hmm. led to, to a very uh, rich and interesting discussion. And luckily there were two, there were two women in the circle who were, who were both black, one, one younger and one older. So I turned it over to them and they were just awesome. I mean, they were so genuine and so straightforward. And just basically the young one, I think I recall told him basically, you know, you're not a black woman because you would know better than to say something just that crazy. You know, <laughs> number one. And the older woman was just, just said like, you know, you need to understand it's been so recent that we as women, particularly in black women, even been able to have a voice that as a young white male to hear you say that is not only confusing, but I also do have the experience that in some way that you're still denying me my voice. Like, it's not cool. And then he went to kind of, you know, reinterpret what he meant that he felt on the inside like a black woman. And I said, you know what I think would be helpful here is maybe rather than asserting what you were trying to do, why don't you just reflect what you heard them say? And so he, he stopped and he actually, with both of them, just repeated what he'd heard them say. And in that process of listening and repeating, his whole demeanor changed. You know, he became open, he became vulnerable, he sort of got the lesson. And it was just like an amazing thing how, you know, not to just see him as terrible and wrong right out of the chute, but to see there's something he's trying to get at. And then once he listened, then I was able to turn to him and say, you know, it seems like you're trying to either empathize or create a connection and there's something positive in what you're trying to do. But do you feel how much more connected you are now that you listened as opposed to asserting something that from an empirical point of view, just simply isn't true. And he was really able to receive the lesson. And so, you know, sometimes, sometimes things go in the right direction. You know, yeah. evolution actually works Yeah. in some cases. Well, that is, you know, that's a terrific example uh, because it gets to the, you know, in a sense, the simplicity of it, yeah. which is to just, let's see each other, you know? And, and then, he did it. He did yeah, it. It was great. Yeah. It was great. And, and they, there was a, a connection that with the, the, the black ladies were part of too. Yeah, I mean, they they had they really had no interest in in making him bad and wrong, but they did. They were interested in schooling him. Yeah, you know for but, sure, and yeah. did. Yeah, and um, but no, I think when he when he listened, then they were able to in some way open to him, and then to look deeper into what his motive was. Yeah. That, he, that he also feels his voice isn't heard at times. Yeah. He also yeah. feels unseen yeah. in ways. Um, and, you know, you can't make the comparison. Yeah. It's not well, it's a healthy comparison, but still there was something he was trying to do that wasn't, wasn't bad. Yeah. You know. Well, we're all trying to be seen. Right. 
you know, I mean, and, and, and as, as, as we should be, I mean, if we look at evolution, it's basically, um, you know, creating more complexity, creating more diversity. That is the nature of evolution. And there's so much more to each of us that we are actually able at this stage to, to communicate to each other. Yeah, which is one of the reasons why in our um, in our work and, uh, you know, uh, I formed this uh, program, the Integral Facilitator with Rebecca Colwell and 10 Directions, and they also do other training programs. But, you know, we, we talk about how evolution evolves through this relationship of sameness and difference, just like what you're what you're just saying, and that even the brain will create new neural pathways that are brand new when we have different experiences and and that then the way that it evolves is to eventually integrate those neural pathways. So it, it, it's harmonized and unified. And then these new experiences happen and create new pathways in the brain. And that's literally how evolution happens. So your interest in including those people who are different than you is exactly what evolution is. Yeah. Yeah. Flowering of differentiation that is then integrated. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Well, it's, 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 it reminds me of uh, something that my, um, uh, root meditation teacher Shinzen Young used to say, mm-hmm. and that is the best way to get from point A to point B is to be fully at point A. Mm-hmm. And that the way when we talk about moving into it, what an integral relationship to diversity or what, what is, it is to be beyond green, mm-hmm. the, one of the ways there is to be fully green. Yes. You yeah. know, and actually fully modern, fully mm-hmm. traditional. There's, you know, and, and this yeah. is a practice, this is an ideal. Mm-hmm. But that's what we're doing. Yeah. You know, that's what we're trying to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Anything that in, uh, you're doing that people might want to be uh, check out if, if they're interested. Um, basically what we're trying to do is just put forward the idea that conversation, I mean, Ken always says thoughts are things we need to take conversations seriously because when we have conversations, we're literally rehearsing possibilities for our reality. Absolutely. He says, we think about things for a hundred, 200 years before they ever come into being. And one of the ways we think is by talking together. Yeah. And so our conversations are really important. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining me, Di. We'll see you next time. Death. Thank you, All everybody. Right. Bye, everybody. Take care. Thanks, everyone.